Welcome to the Bird's Eye View podcast. I'm Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer here along with Les Bowen and EJ Smith. Good morning, guys. We got a new head coach. <laughs> Good to have these uh, searches uh, end as quickly as possible anyway, even if they didn't end super quick. Uh, this one. Uh, you know, it's good to, to move forward and know what we're dealing with and, you know, have some definition to our situation. Yeah, Correct. absolutely. Yeah, it, it played out pretty much, I think, uh, like a lot of the past searches under, under Jeffrey Lure, at least in terms of time. Uh, Nick Sirianni, obviously, is the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's been the Colts offensive coordinator for the last three years, uh, worked under Frank Reich, uh, previously uh, with the Chargers and Chiefs. Relatively young guy, 39 years old, um, comes from a coaching uh, family. Um, but uh, first off, I just want to ask you guys, what was, what was your impression of the hire? Well, I uh, was surprised. I kind of thought Josh McDaniels might be the guy. It had lingered for a good while, but that was kind of what happened with Doug Peterson. It lingered for a good while, and then they ended up with Doug. I, I thought they might do the same thing with Josh, but uh, I can see – uh, why this guy might be more attractive in some ways that uh, we've discussed in our stories on inquire.com. Uh, you know, he's, he's a little younger, certainly less of a resume, uh, more malleable, perhaps uh, less uh, likely to demand uh, sweeping powers anytime soon. Um, it, it real interesting to me, you know, one of the narratives of uh Doug Peterson's demise was that maybe it was Frank Reich that was really the the guiding force of the offense that won the Super Bowl. So here they're going and hiring Frank Reich's offensive coordinator, and it sort of plays into that narrative. You know, uh, I have no idea what Doug's contribution was or wasn't, but it this certainly sets this up as a continuing question with the with the uh, Eagles uh, given that they went right to a frank disciple to uh, to to fix the problems that they feel exist yeah if I could just interject real quick mm-hmm. EJ before you talk uh, yeah but this also runs counter to the idea and it's not an idea it was actually true and uh, Rob body reported it a week or two ago and, and I was able to confirm it in fact I heard it at the time I was never able to kind of get enough confirmation on it but they wanted to fire uh, Frank Reich after 2016. And so I don't know how much of Frank plays into it. Obviously, he was very important in 2017, and maybe that made them ultimately change their opinion of Frank and his contributions or what he could be as a head coach. But they weren't pleased with Frank after 2016. And, and you know, one of the things I was told uh, at the time, he was too Christian. That was part of the problem. Anyway... Uh, EJ, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, I agree that Sirianni kind of came came out of nowhere late in the process, and that was a little bit surprising. But I, I think that the move does, you know, make a little bit of sense. Like, it makes a little more sense than the McDaniels move, just because, I mean, with this guy, you really, I mean, it's kind of like a, a higher risk, higher reward situation, just because you don't really know what you're getting yet. You know, it's it's hard to, to know exactly even what kind of like offense this guy's going to run yet, because we just don't have a, a long track record with, uh, with, um, you know, what he has run with Indianapolis. You don't know how much of that was with Reich. So I think that, you know, with these searches, it's, it's so hard to know how good these guys are going to be for a long time. You know, it's like, you need a couple years to really know, but 
Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I thought the move, while it was a little surprising that it was Sirianni, I thought it did make sense. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way I characterized it. Uh, unpredictably predictable. Um, you know, the name is unpredictable. I don't think many of us had, had identified uh, Nick Sirianni uh, before the search as a as a prime candidate. Although his name had been out there a little bit, there had been other reporters that had mentioned him previously. Uh, but the Eagles clearly probably didn't know much about him either. And from what I yeah. gather, you know, this is what I was told by, you know, various sources that were familiar with the, with the process and, and uh, you know, and with the also the interview process was that, they, you know, they had a set list of names they, for the first round of interviews. They interviewed those guys, Salah, Joe Brady, and Arthur Miller were their first three. Uh, from Arthur Smith. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, Arthur Smith, Arthur Miller. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't get away from that. Having read him so much uh, <laughs> over, over my lifetime. Um, but, uh, and Smith, I mean, I, I think they knew they weren't going to get Salah. And I don't even know if that was kind of, they, they were really obviously as Jeffrey has always been fixated on this, you know, quarterback driven, offensive minded kind of coach. Mm-hmm. And, Smith was probably a guy that if they had the opportunity, they probably would have gone back on and maybe even hired, but you know, but they got started so late. Yeah. All these hires were in, in motion before they even fired Doug, you know, absolutely. So that hurt them, you know, and that you can blame them for fault them for that, or you can use as, as a, as a legitimate reason for why they weren't able to get them. So they continued on with their, with their search and Josh of the guys left, available now not mind you there were guys that they were interested in that kind of took their names out of the running brian dayball and and mike kafka being among Mm -hmm. them and josh was the guy that they said okay this is the most impressive and and look if you if you've been around josh talk to him if you know his background he's an impressive candidate um but i think they what they wanted was like can we do this and from what i understand they started vetting him very much so and made a lot of calls and was receiving calls from around the league and some were just kind of uh, maybe they used it to talk themselves out of it. So let's okay, let's go back and interview some yeah. of the other guys that were maybe interested. And 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 the word I was I've heard this mo- less than EJ. You guys might have heard this as well, but was in some essence they were scrambling. Um, now that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean Nick Sirianni isn't going to be a good choice. Uh, mm-hmm. And I knew that Jeff would probably have to be blown away to kind of to go in another direction. And I don't know if they necessarily were blown away by Nick. But I think they were impressed, and, and this was a guy that um, certainly at some point probably had the credentials to be a head coach. It just seems like it's a little early. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, as you as you mentioned, I mean, this is – again, the process doesn't really surprise me how it played out. This is kind of exactly, less as you mentioned, really what happened with Doug. I mean, Ben Mack – Adam Gase was their first uh, interview in 2016. They probably would have hired him um, – but uh, they wanted to kind of interview some other guys, and he was kind of heading in the Jets', Jets direction. Excuse me, the Dolphins' direction. And then Matt McAdoo ended up being the guy that they were fixated on. Uh, but McAdoo did not. He he went to the Giants, and that, that ended up being his choice. And then they kind of had to re. Now they've already interviewed Doug, but they had. Oh, no, I think they didn't interview Doug. They finally had their interview with Doug, and they wanted to go in and have him blow blow them away, and he did not blow them away. So they're like, oh boy. Mm-hmm. So they interviewed Tom Coughlin. They brought in all the other guys. And it's got to the point where we can't wait. Let's move on, Doug. And that ended up being fine. They ended up getting yeah. the best of the class. That could be the case here. We don't know. Um, right. Sorry, I'm blathering on too much. That's all uh, right. The other question. So like, let, let's talk a little bit about Nick. I mean, we don't know much about him, but I'm sure you guys have done 
your share of at least research and calling around as to what you think. I mean, what do you think he's going to be like? What do you what have you heard about him? And what do you think it's it's going to you know, how it's going to at least going to look out like in the early going here? Well, I have no sense of his personality whatsoever. I do know that what I keep hearing is that Frank Reich is so high on this guy. You know, he he worked with him with the Chargers. Then Frank came to the Eagles uh, for a few years. And as soon as he got to be a head coach, that was the first thing he wanted was to make sure that uh, that Nick would be his offensive coordinator. And he has spoken very effusively uh, of his talent. Uh, and, of course, I think everybody's starting to hear about the family uh, thing. His father's a revered Hall of Fame high school coach in the Jamestown, New York area near Buffalo. Uh, his brothers have both been coaches. One of them was the coach for a dozen years at that same high school that all the boys attended. He no longer is in football. The other brother, Mike, is the uh, the head coach uh, at Washington and Jefferson in Washington, Pennsylvania, and has an incredible record there. He's one of the best uh, you know, Division three coaches in the country. So it's a football background. It's a, it's a guy that, you know, came up the way coaches can't come up. He's, he's had a coaching job every year since he graduated from Mount Union, where he played Division III. Um, he's moved up steadily. Uh, he's worked with some really good people. He was especially – he was a wide receivers coach for quite a while. And he worked with some tremendous wide receivers – or guys who were very productive when he was their coach, uh, I'd be really excited if the Eagles had hired him as their wide receivers coach. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, maybe that will help in this regard. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, the quarterbacking thing, I'm real interested in what happened in Indianapolis. It's not really directly analogous to what's going on here with Wentz and Hertz, but, you know, he had the situation where, Andrew Luck came back from a bunch of injuries, had a tremendous year in 2018, and then abruptly decided to retire right before this 2019 season started. And they had to kind of scrape through with Jacoby Brissett. And, you know, and then they, they end up with Philip Rivers, whom he and Frank had worked with in, with the Chargers. Uh, this year, Rivers had a good year. He retired at the end of it. But, you know, they were productive in all of these settings with all these sort of challenges being thrown at them, uh, whether it was Frank or, or whether it was Nick or whether it was both of them, they, they didn't uh, just, you know, float up face down and, uh, and, and surrender to uh, some challenges. So uh, I kind of like that about him, that he's been through uh, turmoil a little bit and uh, we'll see. Yeah, I sort of struggled with that. Like the idea of, you know, we, I think, well, not we, but I think everybody gave Frank Reich a lot of credit for, uh, you know, what he was able to do with Carson and deservedly so. But then you, I feel like you have to sometimes like separate, well, is, is it Frank Reich that's getting the most quarterbacks or was it Sirianni? And I don't think we know the answer to that question. Um, you know, I think that you, I guess you could say it was both. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but I do think that there is something to this idea that you know, Frank Reich was the quarterback whisperer and now they're bringing, bringing Sirianni in hoping that he can be that type of coach, you know. I think that it's obvious that they br they're bringing him in hoping that he can raise the floor for Carson Wentz. And 
you know, he has a track record of doing that on the staffs that he's been on. But again, it will be interesting to see. It's just there's so much you don't know about how he is with quarterbacks and, you know, what you could actually attribute to him instead of the coaches that he's been around. I've questioned the narrative about, you know, that this is completely quarterback driven because, I mean, his background is less you noted is really more wide receivers. He's a wide receiver. He, his first coaching jobs were as a wide receivers coach. And then there was one period with the Chargers where he was the assistant quarterbacks coach and then went back to receivers. And that you know, typically happened. I mean, Press Taylor was back and forth between receivers and quarterbacks when he was the quality control coach. But that being said, I don't know if I see a, a, a particularly at least uh, a history or a track record of where this guy really has kind of done – phenomenal work with quarterbacks or has resurrected career. Yeah. like Philip yeah. Rivers. I mean, when, even when Frank got there, Philip Rivers was Philip Rivers. Well established. Right. Yeah. And then Andrew Luck, the same thing. Now I think the Eagles from what I was told, they do like that. He's worked with a variety of quarterbacks and had varying degrees of success with those quarterbacks. But EJ, as you noted, I mean, how much can we attribute to Nick? Uh, clearly the Eagles, I think must know that, Obviously, he was involved in some way in that and, and got a sense from talking to him that he knows what he's talking about. But I also feel like a big part of it is that they just like that this kid is uh, very organized. He's with it. He's, he's disciplined. He'll be able to be, from what I understand, like I've heard even kill, but I've also heard that this guy can, can come in hot, you know. His blood can run hot. Yeah. But he's, he's going to hold guys accountable, but he's going to do it in a, in a way – that they're going to understand so he can talk to the players as well. He's young uh, on the younger side. That should help. So I, I feel like maybe there was a little more than being impressed by his leadership CEO abilities. Uh, maybe not as much as the quarterback uh, part. Um, let's, let's talk a little more about the quarterback, just in terms of how it relates to Carson Wentz. Do you guys think that this basically all but certifies that? I mean, we, we're all under the, belief that Carson was probably coming back anyway, more so when Doug was fired. But does this even almost make it ironclad that he will be back next season? I think so. But the one wild card here is nobody's talked to Carson about this. I mean, we don't know. The kind of sense you get these last few weeks is that Carson still, even with Doug out, that Carson kind of would prefer to start over somewhere else. And you know, I don't know if that's true. Uh, that's going to be something they'll have to turn around, you know, that the new coach will have to turn around. He's going to have to make Carson want to be in this situation. And he's going to have to handle it very delicately because Jalen Hurts and some of the younger guys in the locker room who are close to Jalen Hurts aren't going to want to see Jalen just swept aside here. They're going to want to see him have a chance to unseat Carson as the starting quarterback in training camp. And, uh, you know, good luck with that. That's going to be tricky. Uh, the, the technical situation with, with fixing Carson probably is a lot less tricky than the, the, the hurdles you have to clear, uh, you know, emotionally with, with Carson and with Hertz and with the locker room. Yeah, I think the yeah. whole I think this whole offseason, you know, every move that they've made, I think it's been pretty transparently with the intention of getting Carson back on track. Um, so, I mean, there's always the wild card, like Les said, that, you know, something could happen from Carson's end. But I think that it's 
it's obvious that this team is the organization has decided that the money that they have invested in him is not just a sunk cost. They want to see if they can recoup right. the recoup the value there. I, I, I agree. I, I question the narrative though that this is you know Carson Wentz driven. I mean, certainly the Eagles look. It doesn't matter. They want to get a quarterback whisperer in here anyway, and that benefits yeah. them long term. Um, if they if they were thinking specifically about oh this guy <laughs> this guy could get along great with Carson and get the best out of him, I think that's faulty thinking. I don't think that's the way they thought, but that's faulty thinking because honestly, how long will it take before Carson's benched or before we're you know you're you're writing right. the obituary on Carson's career in Philadelphia, even if he comes back this year because. I mean, he's going to be under a tremendous amount of pressure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, some of that of his own doing, obviously, but also just the situation right. that he's now been placed in because of what happened this past year and because they drafted Jalen Hurts and he had a modicum of success in the four games in which he started. Uh, you know, my impression, and, and I, I don't, I think if they bring back Carson, they have to name him the starter. I think that'll be the message once this guy talks. He's going to be asked, is yeah. Carson Wentz your starter? And it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Um, yes. If he hedges a little bit, uh, that I wouldn't. I don't think that's the way to approach this. Really? Okay. I, I think you have to say yes, Carson. Look, they're you know we they the Eagles made the investment in him. I believe in him. He's our starter. Because because yeah. the because the financial investment, everything that they've and then everything they've done, yeah. I don't know. I just don't feel like you can have quote unquote a quarterback competition. What what kind of message does that say to Carson? And is Carson all of a sudden now you're going to upset him? I I just don't see. I just, and I don't see the, Howie and Jeffrey wanting to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, when Chip came in 2013, I think we all assumed that Michael Vick would be the starter not because they had a huge financial commitment there, but because of just the, his, his athletic abilities would have played the chips offense and chip didn't, mm-hmm. he did decree him the, the, you know, he said, this can be a quarterback competition. And it was very much so. Yeah. With Vic eventually winning it, but it wasn't like it was a clear cut decision. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like the quarterback dynamic is going to be very interesting, but I feel like I know exactly how it's going to play out. Um, let's talk about some of the guys they didn't choose, and I guess I'd start with Josh McDaniels because, from what I understand, it was re- essentially down to those two. I wrote about you know how how he clearly factored into this decision, and you know Josh would be the one more potentially threatening to to Howie because of what we know about Josh and how he's previously stated that he'd want almost full control. Do you guys agree? And do you think Josh uh, should have gotten a, should have gotten a chance? You know, it, what happened in Denver and then what happened in Indianapolis, really, uh, those are huge red flags. But I did talk to a player who worked with Josh in both St. Louis and with the Patriots who said he came back from Denver a different guy than he thought he was when he was coaching the Broncos, which was a disaster. He made Chip Kelly look like Mother <laughs> Teresa. I mean, he he alienated everybody, coaches, players, media, management. I mean, 
he could not have been a bigger jerk. He could not have made worse decisions. Uh, he was given control of personnel at age 32 or whatever he was. And uh, he drafted Tim Tebow. Um, but this player felt like, you know, that that really humbled him, that he, he changed yeah. after that. I don't know. I mean, I part of, I think if I were the Eagles, I'd be worried about how much do people really change? And if Josh McDaniels came here and had some success, regardless of what he told you in the interview, you know, is he still going to wake up one day and think, Hey, let's, uh, you know, things would be better here if I were running everything, you know, and that's gotta be a concern for them because that happened with chip and it's, uh, it's not the way they want to operate. You know, it's pretty clear that they're not going to operate that way. So, I mean, I, I thought they would hire McDaniels uh, when the week started. He does have, I mean, he's the guy that's worked more closely with Bill Belichick and longer with Bill Belichick than any of these guys that, you know, the Matt Patricias and the Bill O'Briens and the people like that kind of came and went. But, the Patriots went out of their way. Part of that Indianapolis situation in 2018 was the Patriots just refusing to let go of the guy and giving him loads of money to stay and, and Belichick kind of promising him that he would take him into the inner sanctum and teach him stuff, you know, and that's, that's formidable. I mean, that would have, that's kind of hard to turn down, but I do think the whole power thing was, uh, and trustworthiness is, uh, you know, a big issue with them. And uh, so I think that's how we ended up where we ended up. DJ, any Josh McDaniels? Yeah. Should we go right to no, Deuce? I, I can actually, I can help you with a segue here. So I was thinking about the McDaniels thing in the lens of like from what the players would view. And, you know, they, the players are very outspoken for Deuce. And, you know, I think the thing with Doug, I mean, I know the thing with Doug in 2016 was the emotional intelligence aspect of everything. And, I was really intrigued to see, I mean, if McDaniels were to have got come here, like that is just such a transit, like that's a whiplash from, you know, a coach, yeah. a player's coach, you know, who has the quote unquote emotional intelligence. And, you know, the Eagles have a certain culture in their locker room right now. And I think that, you know, it would have been a really uh, interesting dynamic to bring McDaniels into that and change things. So I think that I'm not sure if that played much into it, but I do think that that, you know, it was important, again, with so much of the uh, support for Deuce Daly and kind of, you know, players wanting to keep the culture the way it is. Yeah, and, you know, Deuce, this will be the second head coaching search that the Eagles have held, that he's been a candidate and, and he didn't get the job. I mean, from, from what I've, you know, just from the reporting I've done and the conversations I've had and knowing the Eagles and knowing, knowing Deuce, I never thought it was a, a realistic possibility. That doesn't say I don't think he deserved he didn't deserve it or that he wouldn't be a good head coach. Now we do have to take into consideration that no other no other team has interviewed him for a head coaching job. In fact, no other team has ever interviewed him for a coordinator. I mean, actually, there was one coordinator uh, interview with the Giants, I think. But uh, that being said, um, you know, and let, let, we can bring in Todd Bowles and, and the other minority candidates they interviewed. I mean, I, I think that the Eagles, people who are critical of the process, have a right to do so. I mean, Todd Bowles, it was just basically a virtual interview. I understand because he's still in the playoffs that that really isn't the Eagles' fault. 
Um, but did they do this? Did they interview these guys in good faith, or was this? It wasn't as bad as 2016 when they had Deuce the first interview, and that was the only minority candidate they they spoke to. Uh, 2013, they flew down to Atlanta and they interviewed um, oh, the special teams coordinator there, Armstrong. I can't remember his name now. It's, it, yeah. But it was almost like they were checking off a box on their way to going to get Chip Kelly. So this is the yeah. team that hasn't had a minority head coach or coordinator. I mean, Todd Bowles was briefly an interim uh, defense coordinator. In 20 years, this is a team that really has a very um, – the executive uh, branch of the front office is all white. I don't know. Is this an issue? Is this something that we should address? And is, is it a problem in the organization? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Jeffrey likes to uh, have this mantle, uh, the social justice owner. But it's fair to question, I think, whether he really walks that walk. He started talking about Ray Rhodes last week when this was brought up, and that was a quarter century ago, you know. Um, It's complicated. The Deuce thing, I think a lot of the – outspoken player support for Deuce had to do with the moment that we're in and the focus on minority hiring in the NFL, which is a, um, my view on Deuce is he's a really good position coach, but not only have they not made him head coach, they haven't made him offensive coordinator and have had a couple chances to do that. I don't think it's racist to say that maybe Deuce is kind of more of a sergeant than he is a general. I think that's true of Jeff Stoutland as well. I don't think I'd want Jeff Stoutland running the team, you know, and he's a great position coach. I don't know if Deuce would be a good head coach. Maybe he would be. Uh, It's, but just because a guy is black and has a job doesn't mean that he should be promoted to another job. You know, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, but I do think the Eagles are, are vulnerable to criticism on this front. Uh, you can also look at uh, the Wall Street Journal did a story a couple years ago about all the executives, female executives the Eagles had. But they all work in like marketing and stuff like that. The Eagles, yeah, you're seeing teams all over the league now hiring women in coaching positions. The Eagles certainly don't have one of those. Um, I, I do think Jeff is a little vulnerable. Uh, it is true that Doug and Todd Bowles, they haven't really had any significant uh, non-position coach, uh, minority uh, football administration people, really, in a very long time. Uh, Lewis Riddick has been gone for a while. Uh, you know, Andrew Barry was here for about 15 minutes, and it wasn't really clear what he was doing when he was here. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I, I think is, is an issue with the team. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do. I understand the frustration that people have with, you know, this coaching cycle in particular. Um you know, I think that part of it is, you know, I mean, every every organization is different and every interview is different. But I do think that part of the problem is that, I mean, it's easy to talk yourself into a candidate once you've convinced yourself of what you want. And I do think that a lot of these black coaches struggle. They suffer from the fact that, you know, organizations a lot of times are looking for, you know, like when you look at the Eagle search, they looked for somebody who could give them what Frank Reich had when he was here and you know 
before that it was, well, you know, can we get somebody who had the qualities that Andy had? And a lot of times, you know, I remember when the Panthers hired Matt Rule, um, I don't remember the, 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 uh, the, their general manager's name right now, it's uh, escaping me, but he said something like, Matt Rule looks like us, you know, he reminds us of us. And I think that that yeah. becomes a big thing in these interviews when it's like, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time around this person, you're going to, you know, give you know the, the the keys to the team off to this person a lot of times you do want somebody who you can relate to or you can see yourself in i think that really does hurt these black candidates um so i think that that's a big part of it and i also think that you know every all these candidates are just they're all different i think the the frustrating thing from the outside is that you know these guys a lot of times you know there's there's always a reason to not hire somebody and that goes both ways you know there's reasons uh, to not hire Sirianni because, you know, he didn't call plays in Indianapolis. And, you know, it seems like you can use that as your excuse to not hire somebody. But, you know, you do see some less qualified candidates getting opportunities. And, you know, I think, um, you know, it is – I guess I understand the frustration. Right. Now, I was about yeah, to, I, yeah. I, I was about more to – More than – dude. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was, I was going yeah, to say pretty much what EJ said, that, like, I, I can understand the frustration – of black candidates because it seems like when when coaches like Nick Sirianni and Doug Peterson and, and Andy Reid many many years ago it seems like when guys are given chances that typically no one else had even thought of they're always white oh well you know and you know why wasn't Byron Leftwich yeah. interviewed during this process and you know and also yeah. in the interview process it's like the Eagles the people in the room were overwhelmingly white uh, from what I understand, Brandon Brown was there, and he's director of pro scouting. I mean, he has an he has a an important position in the scouting department, but he isn't on. He was, you know, why was he there? And, yeah. and thank, I mean, uh, yeah. to their credit, they had him there. They had uh, someone with, with a perspective that was different from theirs, but in that situation, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that it, it, more Eric Bieniemy than Deuce, I is I think that's a real legitimate question to ask. Uh, that's become almost ridiculous that Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator in Kansas City with the most dynamic offense and the dominant team of this time, and he can't get a head coaching, a real strong head coaching. He's not even like a final. Well, do we know for he, certain? He's, yeah, six. Do we know seven, for certain that he didn't take his name out of the six of the? Well, we don't. We don't know what happened. They apparently asked to interview him, but I'm not sure anything like that ever happened. It certainly didn't happen in person. They might have had a Zoom interview with him. We don't know, but uh, maybe there's an issue there uh, with uh, Andy not being happy about what happened yep. to Doug, and maybe the the Chiefs just weren't. Uh, receptive to the Eagles you had to get the team's permission to interview on zoom somebody who's still in the playoffs so obviously that hurts the enemy that he can't really get out there and you know do the kinds of two-day interviews that that uh, Nick Sirianni did but I, I just think he's he's a guy that's definitely qualified to be a head coach uh, overqualified and when you look at some of these hires like Dan Campbell and Sirianni, you know, if I were a, a black player in the NFL, I'd be really 
a little bit chippy about that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, who they hire on his coaching staff and, you know, how that factors into who the coordinators are. Yeah. I mean, are you, is he going to go? Now there's been some talk about this, uh, Gannon, the defensive backs coach at uh, Jonathan Gannon is a defensive backs coach with the Colts, another young white man, uh, perhaps coming with Sirianni to Philadelphia. But would you think they, that he would maybe go in the direction of hiring, you know, someone in the Jim Schwartz mold, uh, a defensive head coach almost with autonomy and some sort of yeah. weight, uh, you know, Wade Phillips type, perhaps. Um, somebody, someone mentioned that, that was he me. worked with Romeo <laughs> right, Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he mentioned that. Yeah, he worked with Romeo Cornell ahead, in like the early 2010s with the Chiefs. Um, now, Romeo, is, is, I think he's older than Wade Phillips. He's like 74, 75. So, I don't know, yeah. I don't know if he'd actually yeah, want – I mean, he was yeah. a defensive coordinator in Houston last year. So, I don't know. I, don't, I looked it up before I, I tweeted out. He hasn't said he wants to retire or anything like that. I mean, if he wants to coach a few more years, that might be like the Wade Phillips mold, you know, the guy with head coaching experience who can run the defense and bring some of the, you know, just the, the wisdom that you lack when you have a first-time 39-year-old head coach. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Well, I, I thoroughly endorse the idea of hiring somebody who's at least <laughs> ten years older than me. Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't been around that in, since I covered <laughs> hockey twenty years ago. So this is the first head coach that's, that I'll that's... cover um, who's younger than me. <laughs> I feel like it's like a common yeah. tipping point. Well, I last... with Joe Brady. With Joe Brady, we got uh, <laughs> we were in very perilous territory. He's He's actually younger than my oldest kid, and that I was not prepared for that. So I'm really glad he didn't get <laughs> yeah. the job. Well, EJ, you wrote a little about what you think the scheme may look like. I mean, certainly we know a little bit of what uh, you know, Frank's scheme isn't isn't really exactly like Doug's. Um, but what did your where did your research? Yeah, so I saw I, um, to, uh, I saw a film breakdown from before uh, in 2018 before their first season there, um, and you know it's all the stuff that they were talking about is kind of basic. Um, you know, I mean, it was, you know, they talked about the importance of, you know, 12 personnel. Um, Damo will rejoice. <laughs> it's still a talking point. And maybe, and maybe Zach Ertz. Yeah. Yeah. He actually broke down a play of, it was Zach Ertz's touchdown uh, catch in the Super Bowl um, and talked about the mismatches yeah. that it creates when they're, when they, when the Eagles used 12 that year. Um, he broke down a play of Darren Sproles from the 2016 season um, when Sproles was lined up in the slot and talked again about just exploiting match, mismatches. Um, and then the third thing that he brought up, which I found, I think this was the most interesting one in hindsight. Um, the, he talked about, you know, running route concepts where you, you kind of clear out one side of the field with, you know, deep routes and have somebody run like a, a crossing route, um, underneath. And, you know, it's just a way to get receivers, the ball in space. And you think, you think about Jalen Rager, like that is exactly what the Eagles should be doing with somebody like that, you know? just trying to get him touches with nobody around and let him, you know, use his speed. Um, so all of it was pretty yeah. you know, fundamental stuff. You know, it's not like, you know, none of this stuff is like, you know, the defining part of a scheme, but I think that the general consensus on, you know, Reich's offense and, you know, Sirianni by extension is that, um, you know, it's kind of like a multiple offense where they sort of have changed it to fit the personnel that they've had, which I do think is a, a good idea. You know, when we were talking about so many of these guys, like, you know, um, Arthur Smith in particular, you know, guys who run this, you know, this play action, you know, kind of like trendy offense. I mean, I think that we're going to be seeing a lot of that coming up. You know, I think in the next few years, we're going to see a lot of coaches running stuff that, you know, kind of 
uh, steals things from the 49ers or the Rams. And, you know, it's kind of a Seahawks defensive thing that happened, you know, like 10 years ago or, you know, maybe not 10 years ago, but where all of a sudden everybody's running single high mm-hmm. safety, you know, cover three. And it just becomes to a point where, well, it's easier to stop because we see it every week. So, um, right. Well, if, if I could follow up too on your point about him, that last point that he made about, you know, uh, you know, it's crossing routes uh, underneath routes. And I think that could be maybe what a, one of the reasons that they're, if they found him appealing, like this past year, the, I, I think I saw maybe it was Tim McMahon's point, pointed this out that the more vertical routes than almost any team in yeah. the NFL. And that really wasn't the offense <laughs> that Doug originally brought in. And from my understanding, that was a Carson who was giving much influence over the offense. That was his, you know, that was coming from him a lot. You know, he thinks he's this big arm downfield passer. And mm-hmm. in reality, while he may have the big arm, he didn't have the accuracy downfield. And I think that became a point of contention between Doug and Carson. And in reality, they probably needed to do more of what, you know, Nick was talking about in in, yeah. that, in that circumstance and what Frank has done with, you know, take advantage. Obviously you got to play this, the skill set of your players, but those more crossing routes, more uh, getting receivers in space. And I think that would help Carson who really kind of struggles, who needs to see separation rather than kind of throw to separate, throw guys into separation. Mm-hmm. Um so that may be something to kind of focus on here and or at least ask Nick about his uh, fo- uh, offensive philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Agree. Um, yeah. Anybody else have uh, any other thing you want to say before we uh, we sign off here? It doesn't sound like we're going to get Nick until <laughs> probably next week. Yeah, and this is a bit of a problem because people are wanting to know stuff that there's no way of knowing until we talk to yeah. this guy. And, you know, I understand the Eagles – you know, I'm not ripping the Eagles here, but it's just an unfortunate circumstance. We're at the end of the week. They don't want to do this over the weekend. Uh, but speculation is going to fill the vacuum here. You're going to hear, you know, all kinds of wild stuff about what happened and how they came to this decision and what they're going to do now and who the offensive coordinator is going to be and whether this guy's going to leave or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the guy in front of me so we can ask him. Yep, yep. But that's how it goes. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a few days of scrambling until we really get some some uh, some definitive answers from the new coach. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, for those of you listening to the Bird's Eye View podcast, thank you for joining us. Uh, please read all of our stories at Inquire.com and sign up for the Early Birds newsletter. Uh in your uh, email mailbox, uh, not every morning now, or at least not at almost every morning. Uh, we're in the off season. It'll probably just be just a, once a week. I think EJ, you yeah, did a special a one off of the uh, coaching hire. <laughs> a, bonus a bonus newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> a bonus newsletter. Do we get paid? I don't think money so. For that? <laughs> I've got to look into no. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, we will probably join you sometime next week after we hear from Nick and, and we get a better idea where he's coming from and, and where uh, the Eagles were coming from when they made this hire. So uh, have a nice day and thank you for joining the Bird's Eye View podcast and enjoy your weekend. And we'll talk to you sometime next Alrighty. week.